Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation, and welcome to another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by Bet Online. I'm Dennis Ackerman. Please be joined by former Raider great Stanford Routes. Dan, can't believe we're talking about training camp, but it seems like yesterday we were recapping the Raiders' 2021 season. I mean, the Raiders are playing in this year's Hall of Fame game, so both the rookies and the veterans have already reported earlier uh-huh. than most other teams. Stan, I'm, I'm looking at this team, and there's several big storylines heading into camp. We've got new coach Josh McDaniels. We've got the addition of one of, if not the best wide receiver in football, and Devontae Adams, and then the retooled defense. So let me begin by asking you, what do you think the biggest storyline heading into training camp is for the silver and black? Oh, wow. I probably would say exactly how is the defense going to hold up? You know, in my opinion, you saw how they added Chandler Jones. You now got the book in all pro defensive ends getting after the quarterback. And obviously with the high octane offense that you now have with the uh, acquisition of a uh, Devontae Adams, now you're going to see a lot of points being put up on this board simply because, I mean, come on now, in the AFC West, if you don't score no points, you ain't winning no games at all. So I think that uh, you're going to see so much of that onus, it's going to fall back on the defense. It's going to fall back on the secondary. And to me, because they did not completely address the secondary, to me, that is the most intriguing storyline going into training camp that I would go ahead and surmise that we really have to go ahead and pay attention to because we know that Derek Carr let's go ahead and put him somewhere between 8 to 12 if we're ranking the best quarterbacks in the sure. league something like that if we're talking about Devontae Adams even if you hate Devontae Adams you'll put him what three <laughs> you know something like that and that's if you dislike him so I think that we're going to see a prolific offense Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, Josh Jacobs, now on his contract year, things like that. We're going to see a prolific offense. I think that's pretty well established. But are they going to be able to turn that prolific offense? Is that going to be able to turn into wins in the column that really, really matters when it comes to trying to go ahead and compete for the playoffs? And that, to me, is going to be it's going to be extremely, extremely incumbent upon the defense. Dan, if the Raiders, let's say if the Raiders defense was as good as it was last year, does it put more pressure on the offense, do you think? Or look at that defense, if it performs like it did last year, should be good enough for the Raiders to at least get back to the playoffs? Based on the way the Raiders played last year, and I I remember I saw a stat just the other day, and I'm not sure if this is correct. I hope it's not correct, but go ahead and correct me if I'm wrong when I say this. The Raiders defense only had six INTs all last year. I think, Stan, I think that is correct. And that is like, that's that's comically putrid. Six INTs out of the entire defense. And so because of the expectation with Josh McDaniels, now Devontae Adams, because of the expectation and the uptick as far as the rate or the clip that the Raiders are going to score it now with Devontae Adams and now Josh McDaniels calling the plays with the expectation of the increase and octane on the offense side of the ball. If the Raiders were to play defense at the same clip that they played last year, yeah, I think that would be good enough with the expectation that the offense is going to be scoring a lot more points because of a Devontae Adams. But we all know in the game of football, it's not like basketball, it's not like baseball, where you just go ahead, plug in a superstar player, and then all of a sudden everybody just gels together. So that's why I say the expectation in the uptick 
of production within the offense. If that's if that is the case, then yeah, I would say that the Raiders defense, if it stays exactly the same as it was last year, but we all know you either get better, you get worse, you don't stay the same. Right. If it was to stay the same, I would say that uh that would be that would be good enough to go ahead and make it to the playoffs because they simply would be out there not giving up 30, not giving up 35, and the offense is scoring, let's say, 36 to 37. You know, Stan, my biggest concern, or I guess my biggest uh, headline going into training camp, and you mentioned all the new, all the weapons that the Raiders now have on offense, is Stan, it's still the offensive line. Now, Colton Miller at left tackle, we know is above average. I'd say he's probably a B plus. They're getting Denzel Good back, which I think mm-hmm. is a huge addition. I mean, he got hurt last year in week one so we know we can plug him at guard and we know we have Andre James at center but Stan it then it goes back to is it John Simpson is it Brandon Parker is it Alex Leatherwood I still think there's three huge question marks and Stan let's face it that offensive line last year maybe I'd give it a C minus D plus it's got to be better than that this year and I think if Alex Leatherwood can make some strides and we plug him in at right tackle you know, I think there's just that's the key to me, because if that offensive line is better than it was last year, I think the Raiders offense is potential to score at least 28 points a game, something in the high 20s. But I think it's all going to come down to this offensive line. How how much has it improved and how well is it going to gel? True. Agreed. And and you're you're definitely like you're definitely not wrong when you say that's a huge storyline as far as the offensive line, because we see what an offensive line, how they can propel you forward and how they can also hold you back. We see the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl with their offensive line. I mean, come on now. They gave up nine sacks to the Tennessee Titans in the divisional round of the playoffs. But because Joe Burrow is great, that's how they were still able to prevail in that divisional round. Now, I will say this. What team did Josh McDaniels come from? The New England Patriots. And now, and I say that because the New England Patriots, obviously Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, we all know that duo. But my point that I'm trying to make is I remember several times that I would watch the New England Patriots, whether it was on film as I was getting ready to play them, being with the Oakland Raiders, or just simply as a fan, just watching them on the TV screen where the Denver Bron- I'm sorry, the, the, the New England Patriots are going against teams with good pass rush, like the New England, like the Denver Broncos back in the 2015 season, or the San Francisco 49ers back in the 2012 season when they had Alden Smith and Justin Smith and you know Brooks and and uh and Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis and all those guys. And then I then I was with the Houston Texans back then at that time in 2012 when they had JJ Watt, defensive player of the year. And I say that because you saw so often. Tom Brady's getting the ball out of his hands within two seconds. So with having a offensive line that is below average, there's still ways to get that quarterback in a rhythm, still ways to get that quarterback success because you got to get the ball out very quickly. So that's why I say, even though it's a huge storyline, I do think that there's ways that you can go ahead and circumvent having a below average offensive line and none better of somebody who knows how to do it than a Josh McDaniels coming from New England where we saw Tom Brady do that numerous times against teams that had ferocious pass rush and they would be pulling in a goose egg as far as the amount of sacks that they had against the New England Patriots on that Sunday afternoon. All right, Stan, before we continue on this, let's get a read in, a sponsorship read, keep our sponsors happy. And our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, 
and even next season's early NFL futures. With training camp right around the corner, Bet Online has opened up odds for team wins, division futures, and of course, the Super Bowl. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BLEAV to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online where the game starts. Stan, right now the Raiders open up the season in L.A. against the Chargers, three-and-a-half-point underdogs on the road. <laughs> uh, I think that game's a pick man. I, I think both teams have improved so much. Um, you know, they played arguably the greatest game uh, in, in last season's NFL yep. on the final Sunday and propelled the Raiders into the playoffs and Chargers went home. But I don't know. I, that's just me. It's a pick them. But, you know, I stand I was looking at week one and I'm like, there's a lot of good games. You got the Bills at the Rams. That's even. I said the Raiders. Oh, yeah. Thursday three and a half football. point underdogs. Saints at the Falcons. Falcons uh, getting five at home. We got the Niners at the Bears. Bears six and a half point favorites. Dan, I'll, obviously, I know a lot of these lines could change because we haven't even started preseason. The Bengals six and a half point favorites against the Steelers. Lions four point underdogs at home against the Eagles. Patriots underdog by two and a half at Miami. The Jets their underdog at home by the to the Ravens. Ravens six point favorite. Commanders four point favorite at home against the Jaguars. Browns, Panthers, Cleveland, a one-point favorite on the road. All right. Texans and Colts, Indy, eight-point favorite on the road. you got the Giants at the Texans. Tennessee's a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Packers at the Vikings. Green Bay giving up two on the road. Chiefs, Cardinals, Chiefs, three-point favorite on the road. you got the Bucks at Cowboys. Tampa Bay's a two-point favorite on the road. Finally, Broncos, Seahawks, Monday night. Russell Wilson going home on week one, Stan. Five-point favorite is Denver. Stan, I think if you're going to back up the armored car, and bet everything on one game. I think it's that Broncos Seahawks. Man. I, think, <laughs> I think Seattle's going to be terrible, first of all. And I think Russell Wilson going home after getting traded. Uh, you can't tell me he's not going to be fired up and that Broncos team is going to roll, I think, on Monday night over those Seahawks. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, anytime you play against your former team, you're going to be you're going to be fired up. And especially, obviously, with Russell Wilson have as much success as he did up there at the 12th man, the home of the 12th man, should I say. Obviously, that's where the emotions, I think the, the, that nostalgic feeling is going to really come over him during the national anthem. It's going to come over him during pregame, whenever they have the Jets fly over the stadium, things like that. I would not be surprised if Seattle wins this game, wow. uh, opening up the season, simply because they're going to be fired up. Now, we don't really know what the quarterback is going to be. It's going to be Geno Smith. It's going to be Drew Locke. It might be Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, crying out loud. Either one of those two. I'll take Russell Wilson, either one of those two. But you're right. It could be Jimmy Garoppolo because he's yeah. on the training block. And, and you don't know where he's going. That's a good point. And, and you know this, like I know, D.A., any given Monday night, <laughs> or, you know, any given Sunday is what it's yep. usually called. But right. I'm not saying that the that the uh, Seattle Seahawks are better than the Denver Broncos, but you and I both know all you have to do is be better than that opposing team on that afternoon or on that evening. And because Seattle's going to be playing at home, because they're going to be having that crowd behind them, because Russell Wilson is going to be playing his old team. And I promise you, I can tell you from personal experience, there's going to come a moment in pregame or whether it's right before kickoff, whenever you take the field first, whatever where that nostalgic feeling is going to come over you, where you're going to have to actually temper your emotions. You're going to have to temper everything that you're feeling because you're going to be enraged. You're going to be excited. You're going to be feeling a sense of revenge. And you got to make sure that you keep all of that 
at bay, that you keep all of that right there underneath the surface and not let it overflow. And we all know Russell Wilson, very astute individual. He's very good at being stoic. He's very good at being able to control his emotions. This is going to be a situation that he's never been in before. And it's going to be a situation that he has no way to prepare for. You know, I don't know how it is. I don't know how the NFL gods work, but it's so weird how oftentimes if you leave a team via trade, whether it's cut, uh, free agency, whatever you want to call it, oftentimes you will find yourself playing against your former team within the first year of you moving on right. to a new team. Look at Baker Mayfield. Like, whoever makes the, the schedules, like, come on. Like, how poetic is that? Oh, right. Like, you get traded from the Browns to the Panthers. And, oh, yeah, uh, by the way, uh, you got to play against your former team week one. <laughs> so, like, it's just – I don't know how, I don't know why, but something about the football gods – you are going to play against your former team within that first year of you leaving. So, like I said, uh, I definitely could very well see Seattle winning that game. I'm not saying I would put my money on it, right. but I would not be surprised at any stretch, man. All right. I put my money on it. But, Stan, here's something that caught my eye, and it happened right before training camp. And the Raiders uh, placed cornerback Trayvon Mullen and defensive tackles Jonathan Hankins and Bilal Nichols on the physically unable to perform list. Now, players – on the pup list used to have to miss at least six games before returning, but now the league reduced it to four games this year. But Stan, if Hankins and Nichols aren't back by week five, that's going to leave the Raiders very thin up front and a name that, you know, I keep reading about, I see it on social media and I'm beginning to wonder now is in Dominican Sue. He's still out there. Stan, mm -hmm. he's 34 years old. Um, he played last year for Tampa Bay. And I was looking at this. I mean, he's coming off a season, in which he recorded six sacks 27 tackles. Stan, if you look at the rest of the Raiders' defensive tackles, I'm just talking defensive tackles now. Nichols had three last year, and that's the most on the current Raiders roster. Now, if I'm the Raiders, Stan, I got to at least maybe kick the tires on Sue, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's what conventional wisdom would lead you to believe, but we don't know if all, if maybe Indomitian Sue's asking price is too high for the Raiders right now. We don't know what exactly is the reason why he's still on the market. Maybe for Indomitian Sue, and I could very well see this, he may be at a point in his, in his career where now he simply wants to be on a contending team. And right now, you don't look at the Raiders as a contender. You still got to look at the Chiefs as the class of the AFC West or the AFC, even though, like I said, they uh, they peed down their leg against the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC title game. So I could very well see that being the reason or part of the reason why you have not seen an Indomitian Sioux and Las Vegas Raiders, even 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 with the the rumor of them being linked together with possibly just simply having a conversation or two. And I think that uh, when you look at players like and Indomitian Sioux, look at players on that type of a level who are going to be Hall of Famers. They have played for a long time in this league. They've made their money. They have their accolades, things like that. When you get to a certain point, when you get to a certain age, for Indomitian Sioux, do I really want to go play for a team that could very well go 6-11, and 11, be 7-10, and 10, or do I want to go to a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where it's a high probability that they're going to wind up being 12-5? and five? 11 and six, 13 and four, something like that. So I think that uh, you also have to make sure to factor in and Dominican Sue's maybe a asking price, but also just the simple fact of he probably in some way is only receiving, only accepting phone calls 
from contenders or perceived contenders. Okay, I got a couple more numbers for you, and then I have a question for you. So I mentioned he's 34. He's coming off the season, which he played for Tampa Bay. Um, Stan, he's only missed two games in his entire career, according yeah. to pro football preference. I mean, he started 161 straight games. The two games that he missed were in his second season. Uh, the Raiders have roughly 21 million in cap space that I've read. So, Stan, let me ask you, you say, okay, maybe Indomitian Sue is waiting for a contender. Do you not think the Raiders are contenders for, in the AFC? No, not right now. No, they're not. Because why would they be? Because and mind you, I played for the Raiders. No, I'm no, a Raiders, no, no, I'm no. a Raiders fan. But just like what Derek Carr said, why would they be contenders right now? Because of the improved offense. I know okay. they play in a very difficult division. There's no doubt about it. It is the toughest division. But there's a, a huge. This is arguably, the, I think, the toughest one of the toughest divisions oh, we've ever it, seen. It, it, this right? is the this is the SEC of the NFL right now. The AFC <laughs> West. It, it is. I but know. Here's, but think about it, DA. How many games? How many downs have this Las Vegas Raiders team with this players? Sure. This group of players. How many downs have they played so far? Zero. So that's why you can't give them a contender. That's why you can't put that that tag or that label on them because yeah. They got a lot of talent, no doubt about it. But what have they done thus far? And that's why, you know, later on, we'll get into Derek Carr's comments about basically how, you know, how he's saying that nobody's giving them any credit. Nobody's giving them any due. Everybody's overlooking them. And it's simply because until the Raiders win the AFC West slash win a playoff game, it's going to continue to be, oh, I mean, that's just kind of like the Raiders, you know I mean? Yeah, they make a little noise here and there, but, you know, to get that, to- that, that sort of respect around the league, to get that sort of respect from fans, to get that sort of respect just from anybody, you're going to have to put together consecutive winning seasons. You're going to have to put together consecutive playoff runs, things like that. Otherwise, you will just be thought of as a good team. You won't be thought of as a contender. And you already know outside of the Rams, outside of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, outside of the Kansas City Chiefs, because they were in it last year and they went to, what is it, four or five straight AFC title games? Uh, yeah. Uh, and so and now the Cincinnati Bengals, because they were in the Super Bowl, it's only about four to five contenders in the entire league. So, no, I definitely would not put the Las Vegas Raiders in that category, even though I want to. I got to go ahead and think with my head objectively. And no, you can't put them in there because they haven't earned the right to be in there. You think they're a playoff team? I think that they could be a playoff team. And like I've told you before, I'll say I said it before and I will say it again, D.A., if you right now were to anybody you yourself or anybody listening to this podcast you right now were to rank how you think the AFC West is going to play out one through four if you literally flipped it upside down on its head you couldn't be surprised at that either because it's so tight right just like the SEC you know Alabama is obviously the class of the SEC so is Georgia because they won the national title but like it's so tight in there as far as the margin for error so you got the Chiefs Right. They got Pat Mahomes. So clearly, they're I still think still they're the class of the division. Till somebody knocks them off, Stan, I, I think they're the class of the division. And I always exactly. believe that. Right. But see, but now, but now Pat Mahomes doesn't have his Superman. He doesn't Agreed. have his cheetah. Agreed. So now Pat Mahomes has to play a little bit more methodical, a little bit more ball control type of offense. I think that is going to hinder him. I think that's going to suppress a little bit of the prolific plays that you see him make. He's still going to be a Pro Bowl quarterback. But I think that you're going to see a little bit of a, of a, lesser speed i think you're gonna i don't think you're gonna see a ferrari over there within that chief's offense i think you're probably gonna see more maserati you sure. know some corvette something like that and then you go to the loss uh, to the los angeles chargers 
obviously, man, you know, I think the world of Justin Herbert, but Justin Herbert now going in his third year, he's never been in the playoffs before. Right. He's got Khalil Mack. Yes. He's got JC Jackson. Yep. He got a healthy Derwin James. And then you got Bosa over there. So their defense is going to be star studded. No doubt about it. But they have not done it yet. So I that's why you still got to push back on, okay, exactly where you think they're going to wind up. Right. Denver Broncos. We all said this last year. Denver Broncos had a good defense. Denver Broncos got a lot of playmakers on offense. What was the one thing they were missing? The quarterback. They got that this past offseason. Now, are they all going to gel together? Is everything going to come together? We don't know that. And that's why you push back on the Denver Broncos being an automatic divisional winner for the AFC West. And then the Las Vegas Raiders, my favorite team, they got Devontae Adams. He's now back with his college teammate of a Derek Carr. So you know what? Big things are coming within that offense. You add that with a Hunter Renfro. You add that with a Darren Waller. Oh, my God. It's going to be points galore. Played up, uh, scored up there at Allegiant Stadium. No doubt about it. But the defense, are they going to be able to hold up? Are they going to be able to make the plays to get off the field whenever they need to? And we see that they barely were able to do that last year. You now have a new defensive coordinator. You now got a new defensive scheme, things like that. So hopefully that'll all pan out to be something positive. But we don't know that. And that's why I say anybody who wants to sit up here and say definitively, they know one through four, how the AFC West is going to be one. I challenge them to go right now and put everything that they have in, in their life on black at the roulette table somewhere in Las Vegas because it's so tight. Right, I agree. I, I very well would not be surprised if whoever you pick to win the division, one through four, I would not be surprised if that same team finished last. Wouldn't be surprised at all. Stan, here's the thing. I think 11 wins will get you the division title, but I think the last place team could finish above 500 as well. Yeah. That's Absolutely. how tight I think, I think that division is going to be. And you're right. I think you can just roll the dice and you can come up with so many ways that this division could finish. I, I really do. Um, Stan, let me ask you this. New coach Josh McDaniels, uh, how long does the love affair last? Between talking about Josh McDaniels and the fan base or Josh McDaniels and the players? Both. Hmm, I think as far as the fan base, it's going to come down to probably the first month of the season. If they come out the gate one and three, they come out the gate one and four, you already know that Raider fan base, they're going to turn quickly. And everybody's going to go back to when Josh McDaniels was the head coach of the Denver Broncos, who already came through the door trying to trade away Jay Cutler for Matt Castle. It did not work. Jay Cutler had to wind up being traded to the Chicago Bears. And we all know how the rest of that ended. So I think that that's going to be a very quick love affair dependent on the first month of the season. As far as the players, I think that if Josh McDaniels comes through there and he is, he's very authentic and he's not going to try to automatically be the Bill Belichick disciple that everybody's expecting him to be and he's his own man, I think the players will obviously gravitate to that and they may give him a longer leash. But nonetheless, like I said, for players, once you see authenticity and you feel like your coach is being a man with you, feel like he's being honest, we all understand, like, come on, man, this is a loaded AFC West. Right. Like, this AFC is loaded. Right. So if we come out the gate one and three, hey, man, maybe we just played against three really good teams and we lost to, you right. know, those three teams within the first four games of the season. That's football. So I think that it's going to be so incumbent upon Josh McDaniels to make sure that he can win the room with his authenticity because if he comes in there trying to be a disciplinarian like Bill Belichick 2.0, 
players can see right through that. They can sniff that right out the way. And I'm telling you, they automatically will be turned off on you. They'll automatically tune you out. And then it's going to be a long, lengthy season. So to your question, to your original question, I think that love affair, it's all about the first month of the season. But who's going to fall out first? Oh, yeah, I think it'll be those fans first. Dan, let me ask you, you played for several coaches during your tenure with the Raiders. How long of a leash did you give each coach? Oh, man. You know, I can tell you like this, looking back on it, D.A., is how because we knew Al ran the show and because we knew that the coach was the head coach was pretty much like a puppet. That's pretty much what he was. He didn't have as much say so as Josh McDaniels has right now. And so because of that, in a lot of ways, you automatically did not have uber levels of respect for the head coach because you knew he was a puppet and you knew he was pretty much for lack of a better word being emasculated by al davis god rest his soul so when you ask how long of a leash did we give him it's really hard to give somebody a leash because you already are knowing hey man you don't really have much say so you're just the person that al liked or al felt he could go ahead and kind of walk all over emasculate control dominate whatever you want to call it so that's why you're the head coach. That's why you're, that's why you're, you're possessing. That's why you're covering this position right now as the head coach of us. But also we know that Al's probably going to get rid of you in about a year or a year and a half or something like that. So it's almost kind of like being that child who's moved around a lot throughout your life. You're kind of like nomadic. So you don't really try to get attached to people because you know that you're not going to be around them for very long. <laughs> I can look at your facial expression. I know, because I'm just, yeah, I know you got a follow-up question. I, Stan, I mean, that's just, uh, I, it, that's a no-win situation. Uh, hello? I mean. <laughs> hello? I'm right. I know. I mean, I, I know you fit. What did you finish? 500 twice during your tenure with the Raiders? Uh, 500 back in 2010. And yeah, and in 2011, 500 as well. Yes. Wow. Tom Cable and Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Uh, you know, it's different, Stan, because, you know, you're, you're a fan or you're in the media, you, you see the Raiders from the outside and you often wonder what is going on inside of that. And, then, you know, you cut, you let us in. And, and when you hear it, you're like, how can that be at, at a professional <laughs> level? You know what I'm saying? It's just it's one thing that's it's one thing to see it, Stan, and it's one thing to think it. But when you hear it, it's almost like a punch in the gut. It, it yeah, really but, is. But I can tell you like this, D.A., man, listen. It's only about six to seven teams in the NFL that are ran first class. Sure. It's only about six to seven teams in the NFL that are really, really, really trying to win. Now, obviously, Al Davis wanted to win. Just win, baby. Come on now. He made that. He made that slogan famous. I just think that the infrastructure of the Oakland Raiders back then at the time, we just weren't, we just weren't structured the right way to be successful. You know, a lot of people talk about Jamarcus Russell being a huge bust. Maybe Jamarcus Russell was a bust. Maybe he was, but we'll never really know if he truly was a bust. Did he have the right people in place to support him and help him reach his full potential? No. Did we exactly. Did we have a GM, an offensive coordinator, you know, a team president, people like that in position to help him get everything he needs or anything like that. So that's why I say, you know, how you're so surprised. So you're so shocked at what I'm saying. We weren't set up the right way. And I can tell you as a player, we knew that. We knew that we weren't set up the right way. And I can tell you like this, there is 32 NFL teams and there is about, I'd say 
12. There's about 12 teams right now that are starting training camp probably in the next four or five days or a week or whatever you want to call it. And they know, they know that they're going to have a crappy year. They know it. When the media comes around, you can't say it because, you know, sure, sure. you can't be, you can't be br- brutally honest. You got to right. be, you got to be that fake positive or anything like that. But they know that they're not going to have a good year. They know the team is not going to do well. They know the team is not going to go anything better than what, five and 12, maybe six and 11, you know, something like that. They know that because they know that we're not set up the right way. I right. mean, like I remember I've heard times, you know, uh, with TJ Hushmanzada, how he said how like there were times back when he was in Cincinnati, how like they would have like a big bucket of like jock straps and just kind of like dump them on the floor in the middle of the locker room. You know what I mean? Like, Almost kind of like it's, you know, like it's community jock straps. Oh my so, you know what I mean? Where they didn't really have like Gatorade dispensers throughout the entire facility, things like that. So, you know, going in that it's not set up right now. The great thing about it is you can overcome that. And that makes you look that much better. Cincinnati isn't all of a sudden some well-run oiled machine. No, it's because they got Joe Burrow. He's freaking amazing. So and then also Jamar Chase and, you know, I think the world of him, too. Right. And then Joe Mixon, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada down the line. So that's why I got to tell you, D.A., is that as a player, you know it. Like there's only a handful of teams that are set up to win from an infrastructure and they're set up to win as far as they have the right type of talent that they need to go ahead and try to get over that hump. But the other but there's another 12 teams, maybe 16, maybe even as far as 18 that they know. We're not going to have a good year because we don't have the right surplus of players. We're not set up the right way as far as the front office. We just want to go out there. We want to make it look good. Obviously, I'm playing for my my livelihood. I want to put good film on tape. But I know that nine times out of ten, we are not going to be successful on the scoreboard at the end of the game. You know, Stan, what you're saying reminds me, I read this, uh, Bill Walsh, late, great 49ers Mm -hmm. head coach. Uh, won four Super Bowls with the 49ers. And he and, and I read this and, and he said this. He goes, you know, at the beginning of each year, kind of what you were saying, there was only a handful of teams that really could win the Super Bowl. And this is why. He says, it is so difficult to get your ownership, to get your front office, to get your coaches, and to get your players on the same page. Exactly. But exactly. you think, but outside looking in, Stan, it seems like that should be, that shouldn't be an issue, but we know it is. Yeah, and, and, and it's because you have so many people. You got an owner, which, by the way, he's a billionaire, not because of the NFL team he owns. Right. So, I mean, for a lot of for a lot of the owners, it's just a power. It's just a power rush. That's all it is. Oh my God, I feel powerful because I own this team like the same guys that probably picked on me growing up maybe one of them stole my girlfriend back in high school because you know they were the jock I now get to own a professional sports team and like that is bragging rights beyond all you know beyond all measure so that's number one maybe they don't really care about winning as long as you know what the dividends are paying and the check clears that's all they care about you got a gm maybe he now is on a team where well that's the quarterback that i wouldn't have drafted if i was here two years ago so you know what I kind of don't really want to put a lot of talent around him because I don't really want him to succeed because hopefully after his contract is up, we can get rid of him and then now draft a guy that I want. you got a head coach that maybe he now inherited a certain set of players that he did not necessarily want, but you know what? They offered him the job. He wanted the job. He took it. Things like that. So 
Everybody has to be on the same page. And that is very, very, very difficult. I'll use the Houston Texans as a prime example. So obviously we had Bob McNair, God rest his soul. He wanted to win, no doubt about it. Cal McNair is now taking over. And I say this, that family, the McNair family, they are more consumed. They're more concerned with team. They're more concerned with putting a good nucleus of men putting a good nucleus of, of leaders, a good nucleus of good human beings, good Christian men out on that field. So they would much rather, they would much rather go four and 13 or lose in the wild card of the playoffs with the right type of men, the right type of players than win the Super Bowl with a bunch of knuckleheads. Now, they would never say that out loud to their fan base because right. obviously that's blasphemy to, to actually hear an owner say that. But I can tell you verbatim, that they're more concerned with the character of their players than they are actually winning a Super Bowl. Interesting. Very, very interesting. All right, Stan, I want to hit on this one, and I thought this was really interesting, that um, the Raiders last year actually led the NFL in ticket revenue with $119 million for the 2021 season. But they ranked 25th in the NFL and tickets sold, and they had a high no-show rate. So, obviously, you played in Oakland. You have been to games in Las Vegas. I have been to games uh, in Las Vegas. I've been to games uh -huh. in L.A. for the Raiders, and I've been to games, obviously, in Oakland. I mean, obviously, they needed a new stadium. They got it. It's a wonderful facility. But the fan base between comparing Las Vegas and Oakland, Stan, is night, oh, night and, and day. day. Night and day. No doubt right. about it. Um, you know, obviously with Vegas, it's a little bit more glitz. It's a little bit more glamour. You know, it's a little bit more spicy out there in Sin City. You know, people will go to see a Las Vegas game because, oh, my God, the Raiders are now playing in Las Vegas. I could go to the game. I could also be out there to go see a show. I can be out there to go to the casino, gamble a little bit, maybe hit a pool party. If it's still in a more of a warmer weather type of the sea, uh, part of the season, things like that. So we'll make a weekend out of it. But as far as the Oakland Raiders out there at the O.Co. Coliseum, <laughs> that right there, you're a diehard because oh, the stadium was not great. We all know that the stadium was very old. And then also where the Coliseum was located, right there in Oakland, you know, not far from Hagenberger. You know about Hagenberger, a DA. <laughs> yes. And so that right there, to go to those games, you're a hardcore Raider fan. And then on top of that, the Raiders were not exactly, you know, lighting the world on fire as far as the wins and the win column or anything like that. So it's a different type of mindset, different type of fan, no doubt about it. You know, now being a, a Las Vegas Raider, being a, a Las Vegas Raider fan is the, new, is the new cool, hip thing to be. The Death Star, Allegiant Stadium, games in Sin City. And mind you, you and I both know this. You could, I mean, if you're Pat Mahomes, but not you and I, you could throw a football from the stadium to the strip. Yes. That's how close the stadium is. Yes. So, you know, you make a weekend out of it going to a Las Vegas Raiders game and you just use that as an excuse to go to Las Vegas. Whereas if it's Oakland, California, you're going out there for the game. And that's pretty much it. You know, Stan, going to games in Oakland and then covering the team there as well for different networks. When I went as a fan, I mean, like you said, the fans, all they cared about was the Raiders winning. That was it. They didn't care how they won, just win. And the crowd stood for the entire game. And uh -huh. they were so into it. And yeah, you had opposing fans there, but it was predominantly, I would say, it always stand what 90, 95% of that stadium was yes. Raider fans. They were no absolute diehards. They go week after week, like you said, and the results even weren't even there.
when I've gone to Vegas, I, I don't know if it was the Miami game I went to or the Charger <laughs> game. Stand the, first of all, I don't know how many, I mean, the teams travel so well now, the visiting fans to that place. So, I mean, of I'm course. Probably, it's probably what, 70 30 now? Uh-huh. And it's more of an entertainment crowd. And I remember exactly somebody sitting next to me, the Raiders have the ball and he's trying to start the wave. And I'm like, what? I won't say the word that I said, but I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing? So my brother actually went over to him and said, look, if the Raiders have the ball, you can't start the wave. When the Raiders have the ball on offense, it, this place needs to be quiet. Mm-hmm. It's just, it is absolutely night. And everybody sits. There's not a lot of people standing in, in Las Vegas. And it's just so, it, it's just so different. <laughs> it's, it's hard for me because I'm such, you know, I, I grew up in the Bay area. Uh, you know, I, I still believe they belong in Oakland, even though that that's never going to happen. That those, that ship has sailed, but it's just, you know, as somebody who grew up as a fan and still bleeds silver and black, it's just, it's very difficult. It, it really is. It's hard. Yes, it is. Yes, it's it hard. is. No doubt about it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more, you know, and I remember I was out there for, uh, for I think, the, the, the alumni reunion during training camp of last year, and I was being driven uh, by what well, we were being driven by, you know, just one of the drivers. And they actually were telling us how, you know, he actually knew Al Davis personally, one of the drivers, and how he said how Al would have loved for the Raiders to have been in Las Vegas, you know, back when he was alive. Because, see, I was always under the mindset that Al wouldn't have wanted that. And, obviously, I was corrected, and then I learned that, no, Al always came to Vegas. Al even had a house in Vegas. He would have loved for it to be in Las Vegas, you know, the Las Vegas Raiders. And I think that, you know, the one thing that we both know in life that is constant, DA has changed. Yep. And that's pretty much what has happened. It's now the Las Vegas Raiders, the entire generation of the NFL. You know, now you see everything from now it's the spread offense. And now every stadium has Wi-Fi and you can connect to different apps and things like that. This is the new generation. I mean, we look at SoFi Stadium. You know, we just look at this new wave of the NFL and that's pretty much what it is. And I think that when you're a football purist, that's when you got to go to the Green Bays, the Kansas Cities, yes. the Pittsburghs, oh, the Buffaloes, you know, even the Clevelands of the world where you'll find those diehard fans where the ones who are rowdy and, you know, they're a little bit belligerent, but you know that they're going to ride for that team like no other. I think that if you want that, that's where you got to go. You can't go to Dallas. You can't nope. go to Las Vegas. You can't even go to Los Angeles. Not if anymore. you want that football purity from a fan base standpoint. All right, partner. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of this Believe in Raiders podcast. We'll be back with another one. We're going to be back with you the entire season. For my partner, Stanford Route, I'm Dennis Ackerman. May all your punts find the coffin corner. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.